Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we're going to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine. We'll cover the latest happenings in the genealogy world with the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad. In our top tip segment, we're going to be talking with Maureen Taylor, the author of the article Switching Gears, which is all about doing reverse genealogy. We'll be spotlighting another terrific website in the 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots list. Then we'll explore the wonderful website of the Daughters of the American Revolution. And in the Best of Family Tree Magazine segment, we'll discuss how reenactments can help you get a better sense of the lives that your ancestors may have led. And that's with Nancy Hendrickson, author of the article, Destination Yesterday, from the August 2005 issue of the magazine. Well, there's lots to cover, so let's get right to it. Our first stop is the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Well, it's time once again to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Hey, I know that um, you've got a lot of new things cooking over at Family Tree Magazine, and um, I had a wonderful time doing the booth at the recent Jamboree in Southern California. And and I know you had a whole bunch of terrific um, resource CDs there that we had available at the booth, but you've got a new one coming out. So tell us about that. It, yeah, it's all about getting organized and what genealogist doesn't need to get organized. I, I know that when we've um, done articles on this topic in the past, people have been very adamant that it's something that they need greatly because their desk looks like a disaster area. So we've um, compiled a lot of advice on this CD called Organize Your Genealogy Life. And it's not actually just about you know, filing papers, although that's covered, um, it's really kind of talking about how you can keep track of your whole um, research effort. Well, and you've had a lot of great genealogy experts writing about how they go about doing it. Um, I noticed there's kind of like four main areas here. We have conquer the chaos. Tell us about that. Yeah, that gets into some of that, how to get your desk so you can see the surface again. Um, You know, making a a filing system that works for you. Um, Do you really need to keep it all? You know, how do you make those kind of decisions and, you know, how to kind of keep everything in order no matter how much room that you have. Sounds like a good plan. And you've got uh, clear computer clutter. So is this um, organization on our computer? Yeah, basically, um, we all download a lot of files and visit a lot of web pages and we get a lot of emails and all of that stuff. Um, So it's really important to not just focus on your paper files, but also to focus on keeping um, your computer organized, too. And um, one tip that I would share with people, um, and and you can learn more about this on the CD, is... um, really kind of making your filing systems compatible and consistent for your paper and your online because if you're using two different systems, that's two different systems that you have to remember. So if you can make them complementary, it just makes the whole job of keeping things organized easier. Oh, absolutely. And then in addition to the paper files and the computer files, we have hopefully those wonderful heirlooms that we've acquired. And you've got some ideas on the CD about how to bring some order to the heirlooms, right? 
definitely. And, you know, a lot of people inherit a bunch of stuff from their um, relatives when they pass on or downsize to a different house. And um, so there's some advice for dealing with those kinds of situations, too. And then finally, the fourth area is organized research habits. Yeah, this is going back to that whole idea I was talking about before with um, not just having a disaster and cleaning it up, but really managing your research in a way that you don't generate all of that clutter in the first place. You know, you're keeping track of everything as you go, and and then it doesn't become a giant job at some point when um, you've reached a, a real mess. So really, it's it's making a commitment to a process and knowing that if you invest a little bit every day as you're doing it, it's going to pay off big in the long run because you're going to be more organized. Yeah, and then the other piece of that, of course, is that if you have a, a big mess of papers and computer files, a lot of times you'll end up chasing down stuff that you've already found. So if you keep it organized, you can have everything kind of at your fingertips, nowhere to look for what you've already found, and you won't waste precious research time trying to repeat something that you've already done. You haven't been watching me do my genealogy, have you? I haven't. (laughs) You sound like you were looking over my shoulder once or twice. I mean, haven't we all at some point looked or ordered the same book twice or something where we, for whatever reason, we didn't record it at the time and we end up going back and redoing it. This is going to be a terrific way to keep us organized so we don't waste that valuable time. And I love the fact that the CD actually has a whole section of resources. You have like 17 printable forms on this CD that people can use and download? Yeah, that's absolutely right. The types of forms are, you know, places where you can record research activity and keep track of your heirlooms and um, note some things about your filing system and and what's in each file. So there's lots of good sheets in there to kind of help you keep tabs on everything and help you lead that organized genealogy life. Wow. Well, you certainly are expanding beyond the wonderful print magazine that we get and, and bringing us these collections of terrific resources. And I know you've got a whole brand new online store, don't you? Tell us about how we find that and what we're going to find there. Sure. Well, one thing is this Organize Your Genealogy Life CD. It's available um, from our new online store. And the um, address is shopfamilytree.com. And really, we've um, created that to be a clearinghouse for all of the different Family Tree Magazine products that um, we have available. So, you know, whether it's a CD or a back issue or um, one of our books, you'll be able to find it all there in shopfamilytree.com. Oh, fantastic. Well, all right. We have to go get organized now. Allison, thank you so much for motivating us and providing the resources to help us accomplish it. We'll talk to you next month. Yes. Talk to you then. Well, it's time once again for the news from the blogosphere with the Genealogy Insider and Managing Editor, Diane Haddad, who has the rundown on what's happening in the world of genealogy. Hi, Diane. Hey. Good to have you here. And there's a lot going on this uh, this month, isn't there? There is. Um, for starters, Family Link has launched this new social network called Genealogy Wise that's a really big deal. They just launched it a couple days ago. Um, and people are joining left and right. It's got groups and blogs and a lot of things that people are familiar with on Facebook. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I have just started getting 
bucket loads of emails saying, come join me on Genealogy Wise. And I'm thinking, that's kind of tough. Because, I mean, it's not tough, but we, we're already all kind of set up on Facebook. Yeah, and people are talking, you know, everyone has different opinions about whether they're going to stay on Facebook, where there's an established genealogy community, and where you also have all your non-genealogy friends, or whether they'll use both, or whether they'll move everything to genealogy-wise. Have you tried out the genealogy-wise site, and, and have you seen any major differences? I've clicked around some. We don't have a page there quite yet. We will by the time everybody hears this. It looks like a really interesting site that has a lot of opportunities for genealogists to get in touch with one another and exchange information and um, learn about their, you know, possibly make connections with relatives. And this site is actually put together by Family Link as well. What else? Tell us again what else Family Link does. Oh, they do a lot. Um, They have a record site called World Vital Records. They have a Facebook application called We're Related, and they also have one called My Family. They have a family website called webtree.com where you can build your family tree online. They have a site called worldhistory.com where you can um, sort of look up historical events and build a timeline and then um, plot everything on a map so you can see where your ancestors were and then what happened nearby. And they also have a site called Family History Link that started as a social network. And um, it's still in beta, and I'm not quite sure what's going to happen with that, whether they'll keep it around and develop it more or whether it will be replaced with genealogy-wise. Well, you know, one of the things that struck me at first when it came out is, one, Family Link it seems to be really diversifying. I mean, we think of them as World Vital Records, but they seem to be very much gravitating towards social networking. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the website itself and comparing it to Facebook, which so many genealogists are using, Facebook is already really integrated into the internet. I mean, you can go to YouTube and watch um, a Family Tree magazine video and you can post it or favorite it and it'll mm-hmm. pop right into your uh, Facebook feed. Lots of different ways to link up. And of course, then we'd have to kind of start from scratch to right. figure out how to do those same kind of interactive posts with genealogy wise yes yeah so and i guess we'll see what happens you know whether people switch over or use both or it seems everyone's so pressed for time it seems hard to imagine that you would use both yeah well we'll have to keep our our eye on it and see what happens with uh genealogy wise and kind of what the consensus is and Mm -hmm. and in addition to of course facebook you've got twitter everybody's twittering right like you say i don't know about you but if i could just get 30 more hours in my day i think i could handle it yeah (laughs) well now it's funny because we were talking about you know family link and remembering that oh those are the people behind world vital records Mm -hmm. another company that we are very familiar with is ancestry.com yes they have been known by another name and that's changing. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, the company that actually owns Ancestry.com has been called the Generations Network for the past couple of years, and they are changing their name back to Ancestry.com. So the name of the company that owns Ancestry.com and MyFamily.com and Genealogy.com and RootsWeb will be the same as their main product, which is Ancestry.com. Now, why do you suppose they changed to the Generations Network uh, a while back, and because it seemed odd to me, because ancestry is so familiar to everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Um, well, and it, they started out as Ancestry 1983, and they became Ancestry.com in the late 90s, then they were MyFamily.com, and then the Generations Network, which I don't remember the reason that they gave at the time, but to me, um, it seems like they were trying to be more broad and not just be genealogy, so that more people would would sort of pay attention. And then going back to Ancestry.com, it's just such a familiar website. It's actually, <laughs> it'll be a lot easier for us to refer to them as Ancestry.com instead of the Generations Network, comma, owner of Ancestry.com. So, and it's shorter. <laughs> we can fit that many more words in the magazine that way. Well, and during this last year, they've really done uh, quite a big marketing campaign mm-hmm. on television. So anybody who's new is is knowing of them as Ancestry and not thinking of them as the Generations Network. So it seems to make sense. Although I have to say, I just got an email right after their press release came out, and it was for an Ancestry product. And it, the byline on the email was, it was from genealogy.com. Huh. <laughs> so it's funny. <laughs> I know they own that too, but... Um, I think it's not all quite coordinated yet, right. but that that will be nice. It'll be easier for all of us to know where things are coming from. Yeah, yeah. Well, great. Well, lots of changes, things to, to keep our eyes on. And we'll have to check back in a couple of months and get your input on genealogy-wise and, and what's happened with that. Mm-hmm. But as always, you've, you've had your finger on the pulse. Thanks so much yep. for checking in with us, Diane. Thank you. Well, you're probably very familiar with the basic rule of genealogical research, which is to start with yourself and work backwards. Well, in today's top tips segment, author Maureen Taylor is here to tell us about how reversing that rule can deliver some great results. Welcome back to the show, Maureen. Hey, Lisa. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing great, and I'm I'm real interested in talking with you about this because this definitely kind of goes against the grain of what we're taught in our research. Now, in your brand new article in the July 2009 issue of Family Tree Magazine, it's called Switching Gears, you really do switch gears on us, and you challenge us to not only work backwards, but to work forwards, and I, I'm dying to hear more about what you mean by that going to tell you to break the rule. Uh-oh. <laughs> break the rule. Be a rule breaker. We just learned the rules. Okay, what's the benefit of breaking the rules? <laughs> there are lots of benefits to breaking this rule. I mean, all of us, you know, we're genealogists, and we learn that we're supposed to go backward in time. You start with yourself, and you work backward generation by generation. But imagine you're stuck. You know, all of us have brick walls. I can't imagine a person that doesn't have a brick wall. And you want to solve that brick wall. But the answers are not by going backwards. Sometimes the answers are by going forwards. And so you trace generation by generation forward from that person. And there are, there are real practical applications for this outside of genealogy. For instance, if you're doing a DNA study, you're going to want to compare your DNA to other people in the same family to see how you're related and, you know, all that. If you're trying to figure out your health history, for instance, not that you go to the doctor and give him 10 generations of medical information, but, you know, you want to find out where this particular illness you have or or that appears in the family has come from. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can do that by researching the family forward. In the article that I wrote for Family Tree Magazine, let me just tell you that I could not have written this article without all the support of my Facebook friends. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Facebook. <laughs> teenage children crazy. 
but I put out a call on Facebook and said, you know, how many of you have ever researched forward in time versus backward in time, and what have you done with that information? And so people told me about how they added, one guy added 30,000 people to his family file. Wow. Well, pretty amazing. The California Genealogical Society, mm-hmm. they researched all the descendants of one particular uh, person for this Peralta Hacienda Historical Park, and so that they wanted to really enrich this facility, this park, with the history and, and reach out to the family members, the descendants of the original settler. And they ended up with 700 relatives to oh trace their descendancy back to this one person. And uh, that now they have all these new new contacts, and the, the site is, fan, you know, they've got pictures and all this information just from going forwards rather than backwards. Well, and I think also what I've been finding in my own research is that when you can come forward and find some of those more distant cousins but that are di- to direct descendants of some of your ancestors, gosh, sometimes they've had the box with all the photographs in it sitting in their attic that just somehow made it down their family line and not our family line, and it's fantastic. Well, that's the whole thing. Like The inheritance of information and the inheritance of photographs doesn't fo- follow any sort of pattern so that you don't actually know who ends up with what, yeah. what information. So it could be, you know, some distant cousin actually has the information that you need to solve your brick wall, or another distant cousin has the photo album. And, and actually, this happened to me recently where I was online uh, searching for, you know, just searching my mother's family and came up with a very distant cousin who had been researching the family and posting everything on Ancestry.com. And, and what do you know? They had photographs that we'd never seen before. Oh, isn't that fantastic? It was, <laughs> it was absolutely great. Well, now tell me, because I know, you know, in the article, you've got five great areas that you explore. And, and certainly it's hitting the newsstand now so everybody can read it. But or what was one of the key things that you do in this working forward? I, I'm guessing it's a lot more challenging than working backwards. It's not for the faint of heart, Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a lot of time and a lot of patience, but it really does have a payoff at the end. So let's just talk about some of the sources that you use to, to do this kind of research. Mm-hmm. First, we've all used census databases, but imagine doing them forward. So instead of looking for grandparents, you're looking for grandchildren or, or uh, you know what I mean? The yeah. descendants of those individuals. You can use Internet search engines. If you've got an unusual family name, like a, a friend of mine, then you just type that in and see how many people in the country have that name. It's sort of a scattershot approach, but it, but it does work if you have a very unusual name. Uh, newspapers, and you want to look at obituaries for each and every person in that family line. In other words, you're expanding your search to not just direct descendants, or uh, you're looking at everyone. Exactly. Exactly. Um, online city directories, great sources. Um, and probate records. Don't forget to look at probate records because it really does talk about who inherits what property, for instance, or who else is in the family. And sometimes probate records mention those distant cousins. That mm-hmm. happened to actually one person in the article. That they actually found, um, like, all the children listed in the probate record and then were able to kind of go from there? Well, it's a, it's a great tip because she found the 
probate papers, and the papers only mentioned that this person's great-grandchildren who lived in the immediate neighborhood inherited, and it left out everyone else who lived just a few miles away. Oh, my gosh. I know. And so she had all these leads that she had to follow uh, and track down, but it turned out to be a really fantastic thing at the end. Well, if you want to learn more about this idea of reverse genealogy that Maureen is talking about, definitely read her article. It's called Switching Gears. It's in the July 2009 issue of Family Tree Magazine. And it kind of may turn you on your head, but from what I saw, there were some really terrific benefits. And um, it's certainly doable. Thank you so much, Maureen, for coming and kind of challenging us with this new way of thinking. Sure, Lisa. Thank you. In today's 101 Best Websites for Genealogy segment, I've got a website with kind of an unusual name and a very focused purpose. And to tell us about the website is founder Joe Bott of deadfred.com. Welcome to the show, Joe. Hey, Lisa. Joe, I've been so familiar with your website, as I'm sure many people have over the years, but it may be new to some folks. And of course, that name really captures our interest, deadfred.com. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But first of all, tell us what the focus of the Dead Fred website is. I'd be happy to. Uh, Dead Fred is there to help you recover your ancestors' photographs. And I started it about 10 years ago uh, as a hobby. Uh, and uh, it has grown quite a bit. I, I've been collecting photos for over uh, 35 years now, and I had the opportunity to go online. The Internet came out, and I was able to put it online and start it up about 98 uh, as a smaller website, but then it grew. And I, was, I was lucky to find a way to reunite photos through the Social Security Death Index, uh, through Yahoo, uh, People, that's back when they had Yahoo people. Mm -hmm. uh, I was able to track down some folks and find a family, and be able, I was able to get some photographs back to them. So I said, wow, you know, this would be a great thing to do online. Boy, it seems like it's ideally made for being online. You were a photo collector before, but now you can really reach a worldwide audience to have them come take a look and see if they recognize those faces, right? That is the truth. You know, uh, in the beginning, it was slow. And, 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 and it really grew. When I say in the beginning, it was slow. When we first started out, it was slow, and I was on AOL. But when, when I introduced it as, quote, Dead Fred, uh, it, it really took off. In fact, it took off so fast uh, that I couldn't handle it. You know, I, it's a whole volunteer system. I work a full-time job here, and so it kind of ran away with me. Wow. It was like marketing brilliance, the name Dead Fred. And tell the audience, how did you come up with Dead Fred? Oh, boy. Well, you know, like I said, I collect photographs. And uh, I was on eBay one time, and I saw a picture of, of Frederick the Great, and uh, King of Prussia, who had died uh, back in the 19th century. And uh, I don't collect photos of uh, post-mortem photos. That's not one of my... That's not one of my focuses, but I did find that photo, and it was very, very cheap. I said, boy, this is a good deal, so I think, I, I think I'll buy it. And at, about the time it came into my mailbox, I was looking for a name from my website uh, that was just getting ready to roll. And uh, my family sat around. We sat around in the living room, come up with names, and 
there's that photo, and then Fred popped up. And we said, well, you know, I, I work in the food industry, and I work with marketing somewhat. And uh, you, you, need, you need something, to, you need a hook sometimes in order to get people's attention. Mm-hmm. So there was that photo, and I'm from a German background. And my great-great-great-grandfather my was alive during this time. So I said, you know, let's, let's ponder this one. And uh, that's how it came out, bedfred.com. It's easy to remember. It's kind of on the, the genealogy way because the gentleman is, has passed on. And uh, it conjures up uh, genealogy, at least in my mind it does. And it's definitely a picture of him, so it also brings up the pictures. So it kind of fit in three or four different ways. Well, and particularly, you've got the name of the individual in your in your brand name, and and really, what you're trying to do is put names together with these nameless photographs. I'm guessing, although I imagine some of them have names. Tell us what's the process of how the photographs are put on the website and how people connect up with them. Well, if you have a photo and uh, you take it, you scan it, or you take a picture of it and you put it on your hard drive in your computer, you go to my website where it says post photos, you click on that, you hit the browse button, it takes you into your hard drive, you pull up a photo that you want to post on my website, and you go ahead and follow directions from there. It's pretty simple. That's, that's the focus. Now, I have photos coming in from all over the world now, and they're coming out of they're coming out of closets, they're coming out of attics, Antique stores, flea markets, you name it, they, they come from all directions. And, and they're, they're being discovered. Now, I'm, I'm guessing that they would make mention of any kind of name, any kind of location, anything that's identifying of these photographs so that people know how to search? Yeah, if you look at, if you look at a picture that was taken back in the 19th century, uh, there's the photographer's name, there's a photographer's location. That's all available. You can put that information in there. First name, surname, dates, ages, sex, uh, uh, country, county, province. We have a comment session that you can put any kind of uh, information in that's keyword searchable. Uh, and then the folks that, 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 that want to put pictures on, they can put as many as they want. There's no limit. As a matter of fact, uh, I'd like to get all the orphan photos in the world put on there if that was possible, but you know, I'll have to wait a while for that one. Just a little bit of a goal there. <laughs> that is a little bit of a goal. But, you know, I'll, we'll work towards it. Uh, it's there. It's available. It's free. It doesn't cost anything to use. And we've reunited 1,500 people or 1,500 photographs in the past 10 years. So that's pretty exciting. So it does work. So even though it sounds like it could be somewhat of a needle in a haystack, I mean, 1,500 photos identified and, and reunited with um, descendants of those ancestors, that's a terrific result. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we're really happy with it. Uh, 1,500 uh, reunions, and we have we have approximately 100,000 photos that are on the website. So, uh, And most of them, all, all but 3,000 of them were posted by people in, in your audience. Had photos they found, or photos they uh, they wanted to share with other people. If you have a photograph of uh, your grandmother or great grandmother with her friends, you mm-hmm. don't you might not know who her friends are, but somebody out there does, and they sure would love to see that photograph. 
Absolutely. Well, let's wrap up then with when you go to deadfred.com. Do you have any tips for us on how to go about searching the large volume of photos that you have so that we can see if there is possibly a match with our family? It's very simple. First, the first thing you could do is just go to the home page and, and type in surname. Or if you want to search by alphabet, there's an alphabetical, we call it surname search. You can just click on a letter and, and search by the last name according to the alphabet. Or you can do a, you can do a search that is a little more complicated, uh, although it's still simple. It's just search by country, by state, by age, by any, any component of, uh, of a person. Even the, uh, the maiden name, uh, search is searchable. Or if you like to do a keyword search, you can type that in and uh, bring it up by keyword. We also have a mystery session where the mysteries are folks that don't have, we can't find their last name. So we, we have a section strictly for them. Uh, all other information is still available through that site. But if you type in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, without a surname, you'll get all the photos that are in Philadelphia uh, come up. Gosh, you make me want to go right now and go take a look. I got some places I want to search for. <laughs> Joe, it sounds like it's such a fantastic site. We're going to have a link to it in the show notes for this podcast episode. And so nice to meet the man behind deadfred.com. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Lisa, thank you very much. Nice meeting you. segment, we are going to spotlight a library that should be on everybody's resource list. And that is the wonderful library of the National Society of the Daughters of the American Revolution. And to tell us all about it is Eric G. Grunset, Library Director of the DAR Library. Welcome to the show, Eric. Hi, thank you. First of all, you can just kind of give us an overview of what the DAR is and uh, how the library is a support to that society. Well, the DAR was founded in 1890, and it's a service organization for women that does a lot of volunteer work around the country. Uh, The library ties into it in terms of the fact that because the organization is a lineage society, women have to prove their lineage back to someone who supported the American Revolution in some way. And so they set up a library in 1896, and it's grown since, of course, uh, to help the staff genealogists prove and uh, deal with papers that come in for membership. So the library started out with a very specific purpose, but over the last hundred and some years, it's evolved in one, into one of the country's major genealogical research centers because of all the uh, unique material that we have here. I bet. And a lot of people think of the DAR as being a genealogy group, but it's really not. It is more of a community service type organization, isn't it? Well, in terms of what the members do at home, yes, that's actually right. And they do a lot of that kind of work with VA hospitals, um, different kinds of schools, uh, citizenship programs, all, you know, all kinds of different activities that relate to those sorts of those purposes. At the same time, they support the work that's done here at the national headquarters, which includes the library and, and our museum and other offices as well. So the fact that folks do prove their lineage, the library has been developed to help to support that and is now kind of helping the general population with research or genealogy. Is that part of your focus? Well, the library's been open to the public since about 1900. And so we've uh, always had uh, non-DAR members in here using the library 
and a good portion of the of the people that that do visit are not members. Uh, used to be maybe it was more members than non-members, and now with just sort of a, a general in, declining usage to a point, um, it's it's kind of like 50-50. We don't always know exactly uh, who's a member and who isn't. So. Um, yeah, we've we've been uh, providing services to the public for for many many decades. Wonderful. So we all know that we can definitely come and visit you in person. But you also have a wonderful website. And tell us um, what we might be able to find online in terms of becoming familiar with the resources that you hold there at the library. Well, at this point, the resources that are on our public website are a little bit limited, and we're hoping to expand them in the next few months, and I'll mention that in a second. But the main thing is for someone to look at the DAR's main uh, webpage at www.dar.org and then click on the library portion, and that will uh, lead you to a variety of, of information, such as our online catalog, which if anyone's going to come here and do research, they really should uh, use that before they come to prepare themselves. Uh, another thing is our, um, na- our GRC National Index that has been online for a couple years now. It's a, an evolving index that has something like 32 million names uh, in it. It's the result of work that's being done by members to provide every named indexes to about 20,000 TypeScripts that have been collected over the last oh, 70, 80 years and the complete set of which is only here. Those TypeScripts we call the Genealogical Record Committee Reports, or GRC, and hence the name of the index. It is a you know, master index to every, every volume when it's finished. We're over halfway through. I don't have a projected date as to when that will be done. But uh, that leads people to a lot of information that's buried in these volumes. Uh, we're also in the process of digitizing the entire content of those GRC reports, and as a result, at some point, we're, and we're not there yet, uh, we may be offering a, a subscription website of some kind to enable people to look at the actual images of the pages that go with that index. At this point, they, they can use the index and then they can order copies from our search service of uh, pages and things. So there's there's information there, and it's evolving. In the next couple of months, we're planning to put on that site for the public to look at what would actually be a an electronic version of what used to be the DAR's printed Patriot Index. Uh, this will have uh, some slight differences to what members can look at, but it's going to be the basic information that, that gets people into all the membership application papers that have come into the organization since 1890, enabling them to search the revolutionary ancestor and the children of that ancestor to which papers have been submitted and approved. So we have evolving information. There's going to be a couple of other kinds of things on there as well with bibliographies and some guides to some of the things in our collection, but we're still trying to fine-tune those and get those finished before we post them. Well, it's always wonderful to have such great resources online, but of course there's nothing like a visit to the DAR library. You mentioned getting yourself prepared by going online and using the catalog to to kind of decide ahead of time what you want to accomplish and, and what you want to find. What kind of tips can you give us for when we actually can make that trip in person to the library? Well, the first thing I would suggest to anybody is that they try to find a copy either by purchasing it or finding it at a local library or near where they live um, through the guidebook that we've published in 2004 uh, for research here in this building called American Genealogical Research at the DAR. It's the only guide that, that is, I'll say, comprehensive in terms of 
uh, covering just about everything that we have in our collections in a general sense. Uh, a lot of things that people would be surprised to, to um, know that we might have or be totally unaware of what we have. The one of the one of the big misconceptions for most researchers is they think that they're not working on the period of the American Revolution, so that this library wouldn't have anything to benefit them, and that's not even remotely the case because we cover all four centuries of American history um, in, in in many many different uh, ways and with lots of different publications and files and digitized materials and that sort of thing. So our collection is very deep for the colonial period, the revolution and 19th century, and we have a tremendous amount of 20th century material as well. So they need to look at our guide to research to you know, get a feel for uh, how things are uh, arranged here, uh, the kinds of materials that we're likely to have here, and to see what we have that other places here in Washington, like the Archives and National uh, the Library of Congress don't have. Uh, all three of these institutions complement each other, and as a result, it's a good thing to know, you know, what each one specializes in, and the kinds of unique resources they have. So preparing in that way is a good one. Uh, once again, I mentioned using the online catalog, using the uh, GRC National Index. Uh, if someone uses that latter resource, they can, and they're going to come here, they could very easily uh, get hold of the material that it indexes. So those are the main kinds of things. But you know, doing homework and preparing and knowing what you're looking for before you come is very important. The staff will help, but if you don't have all of your details there together when you come, then it's, it makes it diff more difficult for us to point someone in the right direction. And we hope that people will come and visit because coming and visiting is the best way to really mine the resources that we have here. Absolutely. And they can find you at 1776 D Street, Northwest in Washington, D.C. Well, again, it's dar.org. Thanks so much, Eric. Thank you. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to walk in your ancestors' shoes and live the way that they did? Well, I once had a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do just that when my family and I spent about three months one summer filming the PBS miniseries Texas Ranch House, which was set on a cattle ranch back in 1867. Well, in the Best of Family Tree magazine segment today, Nancy Hendrickson provides some options for experiencing history for yourself that are available to everybody, and they are in her article, Destination Yesterday, which appeared in the August 2005 issue of Family Tree Magazine. Welcome to the podcast, Nancy. Thanks. It's great to be here. Great to have jealous about your Texas ranch house. <laughs> well, it was a wonderful experience. I mean, not everybody wants to do a reality show, um, but the the total three months day-to-day -day living was an amazing experience to know what it was like to haul water around and cook over fire morning, noon, and night. And that's kind of what the reenactors do, don't they? In your article, you talk about reenactors, civil war, all different types of things, and, and how you can not only view what they're doing, but you can participate. Tell us about that whole experience. Oh, absolutely. Well, as I said in the beginning of the article, I've always had an interest in history, and when I was a kid, they used to have a, a show called You Are There, and it took you back in history, and I think that was kind of what started my, my whole interest in history, as well as genealogy. And I realized to be a really good genealogist, you need to be a historian, because the more you can understand the events in an ancestor's life, 
the easier it really is to to predict where they might have moved or why they might have moved or why something happened in in the family's life. And one of my cousins is actually a Civil War reenactor. And after listening to his tales about being in Civil War era battles, really got me interested in the whole field of, of reenacting. And um, he once told me that when you're dressed in period costume and you have cannons going off and black powder smoke and people yelling at you, he said there's a really weird experience that it really feels like that you are there. Uh-huh. So you're not going to experience that as a spectator, but I think it would will give people, um, really give them insight into what it was like in the day-to-day lives of their own family. Well, and, and that's a really good point that you can maybe start off as a spectator. And if you find that's really of interest to you, you can kind of take the next step and even get involved in reenactments. But from a st- from a spectator's point of view, um, you mentioned in the article about how soldiers were wearing wool fabric. And sometimes that was in the heat of summer. And I could really identify with that. And and you might not really realize that or see the sweat that it generates unless you're standing there watching somebody living that way, right? That's really true. And most rein- and I've gone to many reenactor reenactments and I've been to many historic sites where reenactors um, are performing. And they take a huge amount of pride in the accuracy of their of their costumes, their speech, the stories they tell. Uh, I was at Fort Abraham Lincoln in North Dakota, for example, and a sergeant major was there. And he, a group of school kids came through, and one of them was wearing a ball cap, and the sergeant major literally knocked the cap off his head and asked him what kind of a low life he was to have his hat on in a house. They really stay in character. <laughs> and I, I'm very familiar with a, a period of history in North Dakota, in North Dakota's history, and I tried my best to stump him by asking him things that I, I knew about historically, and I never could. He, <laughs> he was so well-schooled in the history of that place that he, he, I never could trip him up. So it was, it was, it's fun, and it's very fun as a spectator to go because these people spend so much of their time learning about history and, and events that they want to talk to you. They want you to come ask them questions. Because they have a lot of pride in what they've learned. You bet. And I and what I find really striking is whether you go to a reenactment or you head to Colonial Williamsburg, you know, many of us are familiar with the big events in history. But what you really get is a flavor of the day-to-day. And sometimes it was drudgery. And just seeing, um, particularly, I think, in the case of women, because women are not as thoroughly recorded. They were oftentimes in the background. They were oftentimes just making sure everybody kept fed during all of these events that were going on. And so sometimes just seeing it in action is one of the few ways that we can really get a sense of what their life must have been like. That's really true. Uh, I was at Fort Laramie in Wyoming once, and uh, during the summer, which is typically when most reenactments take place, mm-hmm. and they had the washerwoman's tent set up. And her life of, of bars of lye soap 
washing these uniforms, going to the river. <laughs> it, it was horrible. Yeah. So it was a horrible life. It was very difficult. And, you know, you, your pay was low, and you weren't a, you weren't a um, an official part of an Army post, so you were there at somebody else's because of somebody else's gratitude. But um, very difficult life. And um, you talked about the Texas Ranch thing. They, they, PBS did a similar series up in Montana uh, for uh, like a Frontier. Frontier House. Frontier House. And my 80-some-year-old aunt has been a farm wife her whole life. And I said, Aunt Helen, what do you think? Should we go try this? And she said, I've had enough milking cows to last <laughs> me a lifetime. No. So Frontier House was out for us, for our family. Yeah. Well, I, I know it was really interesting. We had some local area women, in fact, a few that actually lived fairly authentically. They came and visited us on the show. They didn't They didn't show it on the show. But I remember sitting there, and I was so curious to know what they thought of some of the things that we were doing and the, the, the day-to-day stuff that wasn't even on the show. And I said, you know, would you raise your skirts a little bit, considering how they're dragging in the dirt? Or would you wear your corset every day? And they're like, oh, lady, no. I mean, you know, if, if somebody was coming from town, but, you know, when you were just trying to get your work done, it was whatever it took to get it done. So it was interesting, because oftentimes, the pictures and the stories we see in history books are kind of the um, the version they wanted us to see, don't you think? It's the whitewashed version. Yeah. Definitely. And the other thing about Colonial Williamsburg as well is there are reenactors who who aren't just a generic craftsman. They take on the persona of a famous person who did live in Williamsburg. And those people, according to the um, a woman I talked to at Colonial Williamsburg, told me that those people spend a lot of their off hours researching that person wow. so that they have every detail down perfectly. I also have found Civil War reenactors who are reenacting their own great-grandfather. So they know their own ancestors' history, and and they're actually reenacting that same person, which I also found very interesting. What a fantastic way to to take your genealogy research to the next level, to actually select a character or an ancestor from your tree. And, you know, if you're going to put that kind of in-depth research into it, why not have it be one of your ancestors? I think that's a fantastic idea. Well, Nancy, your article just gives all kinds of wonderful ideas and websites that people can go and research ahead of time. So it can be anything from you'd like to go spend a day and see how somebody else is doing it to getting more and more involved. And there's so many options around the country. You'll definitely want to take a look at her article. It's Destination Yesterday. And it is from the August 2005 issue of the magazine, which is available from the Family Tree Magazine shop. And we'll have a link for you in the show notes. Nancy, thanks so much for just kind of taking us back in time and letting us know um, how we might be able to get a little more hands-on with our ancestors. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining me for the July 2009 episode of the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. 
First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis. It's at blog.familytreemagazine.com insider. And then get out your July 2009 issue of the magazine to read Maureen Taylor's article called Switching Gears for all those great tips on doing reverse genealogy. Next, you can revisit Nancy Hendrickson's article on reenactments called Destination Yesterday for some great leads on where you can attend live reenactments. Then head over to the website of the Daughters of the American Revolution at dar.org to explore their wonderful online library catalog. And finally, search for some long-lost photographs of your ancestors at the Dead Fred website at deadfred.com. I'll have links to all the websites that we mentioned on today's show on the webpage for this episode. You can find us on the web at familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And if you have any questions or comments, be sure and email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. And if you haven't done so already, be sure and subscribe to this podcast. It's free through iTunes, and that way you'll get each episode automatically downloaded to your computer when it's published iTunes is a free program that you can download at apple.com slash iTunes slash download. And we have two videos for you on the Family Tree Magazine podcast pages that will walk you through downloading iTunes and subscribing to this show for free. So thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope that you'll visit me at my website at genealogygems.tv, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Both of those shows are available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. 